he told me how him and Sue met. They were supposed to be going to a um, Valentine's Day event. They both dumped their dates. And he ate, he ate the chocolate that her date gave her for her. Um, that's, a, that's a cold man right there. That's a cold, he, you know, and y'all let him be your pastor. Lord, help y'all. Um, pastor Don and Patty. This, if you don't know this couple, you need to know this couple. Mm. How you doing? This is a true man of God right here. Lady of God, they really are wonderful, wonderful folk. They tell me if you see a turtle on top of fence posts, the question you ought to ask is how to get there. God has tremendously blessed my life. You'll hear about it in a few moments. But Lori over here, you're one of your, your worship leader. Y'all know Lori. Her daddy and I became friends. I used to sleep in her bedroom. She was just a little bitty girl. And my wife and I would come over and Lori would have to go. I don't even know. I never even found. Where, where did you used to go sleep at? Just wherever, you know. And I didn't know anybody had that many rabbits or whatever it was. All these little stuffed animals on her bed. You know, we'd have to. I felt guilty, you know. Excuse me, Mr. Bunny and Mr. I'm sorry. Who are you, dude? You know, and you know. But I probably, there's a lot of people in my life that have helped this turtle. And one of them is her father. I sincerely, sincerely uh, love her dad, her mother. But her dad has just been a really dear friend through the years. And uh, he has blessed my life. And I'll tell you something about that in a moment. But, you know, God is uh, one, of my, the thing I, one of the things I love the most. And I want to invite all you men to our men's conference. It's, it's really the largest gathering of men in this region. Um, and God has blessed us. This year we have Tim Delina. Tim Delina was the teaching pastor at, at uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, a little storefront church in New York City. And uh, he's going to be with us. And we're going to have John Hanna. John Hanna is a powerful man of God. I, 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 I wish he had the time just to speak to pastors because he, he exemplifies humility because he has a church of about 12,000 people. But the person who gets the credit for having the largest church in the Assemblies of God is a, is a guy named Choco de Jesus because he started out under Choco. He stayed with him a year, learned how to wash toilets really good. And then he went out and started this church. But he is still, all these years later, 12, he's still under, and he, he just won't go. And, you know, so many leaders think that they get six members, it's time for them to move out. They don't know how to follow. They don't know how to just. And so John's going to be there. And then we have some other things that uh, we're going to do as well. I, you know, Michael, this is your bride. This is your, you're from the Ukraine. I just tell him, Michael, I had the privilege of being there last July. Let me tell you what I like about you, and I don't even know you. You're here in the service right now. A lot of musicians, they come, they do their thing, they go out and do whatever they do, show up at the end. And I was sitting over there looking at you, and I said, there's something about you. I mean, this is the second time you've ever heard me speak. I know I'm good, but I mean, you know, wow, come on, man. <laughs> but I just pray God's blessing upon your life as you and your bride get ready to travel again, to go back overseas. I sincerely mean that. You, you, there's something special about you. I watch you when you sing your songs. You like your songs. You worship Jesus with your songs. And when your songs move you, they move us. And I just want you to know how much I, I just appreciate you. Why don't you just stretch your hands in this direction? Oh. Father, I thank you for this couple. And Father, I just pray over them. I pray that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would just rest upon them. And as they travel together and as they raise their children to love you and to run from evil, I just pray that there always be a special anointing upon his life. I pray that you will continue to wake him up in the wee hours of the night with songs, not just that would glorify you, that others would hear and they would want more of it. And I don't know the highest place, platinum, gold. I don't know, I don't know about the music stuff, but I pray that you will take his music to the heights of the music industry. And may souls be one to you through, through, through Michael's music. God, I pray that you'd even give songs, of, more songs, not just through him, but through his wife, as he's watching them, through their children. Bless this man and woman of God, I pray, Father. And thank you for how he has blessed my life this morning, not just through his music, but through his presence. Such a model, Lord God, of humility, and I just thank you for him. 
So bless this couple, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I was telling them first service, I like telling people about Jesus. Sometimes people will ask me, so what do you do? I say, well, I work for an international organization and we search for lost people. <laughs> Is that not what we do? Let's see. And see if, I don't, see, if I'm on a plane or a train, or if I don't really want to talk to you, you know what I tell you? They say, well, what do you do? I'm a Holy Ghost tongue-talking preacher. What do you do? <laughs> Man, they start pushing buttons. And, and I don't, I look, can I get another seat? There's no more seats. I'll ride with the luggage. Get me away from this guy, you know. And, and I'm, I really hate to tell you that I'm not, I don't always pass every test with an A. There's some people I'm sitting beside them. I go, man, if today is the day they go to heaven because of what I'm going to tell them, they're going to miss the bus. <laughs> I'm tired. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to go to sleep. I'm on a plane going into uh, Springfield, Missouri, just a few months ago. And, you know, it's two seats, one seat. And the guy I happen to sit by is a big old guy. And he's got, not just is he, is he big, but now he's got one of those big sheepskin jackets on. I'm going, gee, man, you got no class, man, you know. You no class. <laughs> so now I got a bad attitude, okay? I sit down. I don't want to talk to him. He, you can tell he's not just been drinking. He smells like the bar. I'm going, now nah, I got to sit by a wine old man. Yeah, man yeah. <laughs> so I sit down. I go to sleep. Man, let this be a quick. And I can almost hear God sometimes. Go, Boy, you are a piece of work. <laughs> you are a real piece of work. I, I go to sleep. I wake up. We still haven't landed. And all of a sudden, my attitude has changed. I say, I say, man, how you doing? What's your name? Tells me his name. Then he started, and then that's all it took. And then he just opened up, told me about his wife. They had been married for two years. They had kids that were seven and eight. I thought, oh, okay, I got that one. You know, and he just kept going and going. And so finally, the plane started to land, and I said, uh, are you a man of faith? See, if you, just, if you would just keep your ears on that, God will, God will give you some crazy stuff on how to talk to people. I said, you a man of faith? No, I'm not a man. I said, oh, buddy, you are a man of faith. Plain lands rolling up to the gate. I said, you, my friend, are a man of faith. And then you'd have to have known my dad. He could come up with stuff just like this. And plane is getting up close to the gate. Well, why do you say I'm a man of faith? I said, I got one question for you. I'm grabbing my luggage. He said, what's the question? I said, and I, I got tickled. I, I'm laughing myself. I said, uh, what's the pilot's name? He looks at me and goes, I don't know. I said, you got on a plane, entrusted your life to somebody you don't know and have never met, and you don't call yourself a man of faith? I said, here's the difference. You have your faith in that pilot. I have my faith in that pilot. I get up. Listen, I grab my luggage. I'm laughing. And he's sitting like this. And as I get ready to walk off the plane, I turn and look at him. I says, have a great day, man of faith and power. And I just walk off. He's messed up. He just, who, who was that masked man, you know? And, and if, we're, if you're available, I just, God is looking for people who just represent him. You don't have to go anywhere. I have friends that say, well, you know what, you're, you're in the sacred ministry, and I'm just, I work out in the secular world. I said, no, you got it wrong, baby. I said, if you accept Jesus, it's all sacred. Amen. Whether you sell insurance, whatever it is that you do. It becomes holy once you accept Jesus. If you're a student in school, you represent Jesus. Right. And if everybody just represented Jesus where they were at, we wouldn't have a problem. But too many folk depend on the people who get paid to preach to think they're the magic people. I'm going to come to church with you. You hear my preacher. You'll come to know Jesus. If they don't come to Jesus by watching your life, they sure ain't going to come listening to us. Because you're the closest thing to them. So this morning, I want to leave a thought with you. Here's a thought. You can make a difference. You really can make a difference. By the time I'm done this morning, you will be convinced of that. I'm going to read you a story out of 2 Kings. So as you turn there in your Bible, your iPad, iPhone, iWhatever, you know, I think uh, my desire this morning is to motivate, inspire, challenge, and encourage you to live a more Christ-honoring life right where you are. Not where you want to be, not where you wish you were at, but right where you are. And I think every time you come to the house of God, there's a lot of questions you ought to ask yourself. But here's just four basic questions you ought to ask yourself every time you listen to a man or woman of God speak the word of God. Number one, what is God saying to me? Hopefully you're not just, you know, filling up a space. But you ought to be asking, God, what do you want to say to me today? You ought to be open. 
You ought to ask yourself, what do these scriptures tell me about Jesus? You ought to ask yourself, if this passage is true, how will I apply it? What is God saying to me? What do these scriptures tell me about Jesus? If this passage is true, how will I apply it? And the last question you ought to ask yourself, and I ought to have an answer before you leave. Who will I share what I've learned with about God today? Who am I going to share what I've learned? Who am I going to tell about what I've learned today? Or are you just going to take it home and just keep stuffing it down? There's a story in 2 Kings, and it goes like this. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The Bible says he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel said. By all means, go. And go. The king of Aram replied, I will send the letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know there's a prophet in Israel. Pause. I don't know what you do during the day, whether you're a student, retired. I don't know what you do. But when people that are in your sphere of influence have problems, somebody ought to say, you need to go talk to Rick. You need to go talk to Dan. You need to talk to Sue. You need to go talk to Gene. Your problem may not change, but I guarantee when you leave them, you'll feel better. You ought to be the Elisha in your world. You ought to be the one that people are directing people to who are going through a bad day, bad month, bad life. They ought to know there's something different. I don't, I don't quite know what it is, but there's something different about them. And it ought to be exemplified in your character. See, a lot of Christians, man, they just, some of them ought to, they ought to apologize for being a Christian. No, they really should because they're not happy. You know, they've never, they've never let Jesus take their problems. You know, some folk like having problems. They really, you know, listen, the, the, the man that's at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus asked him one simple question. Hey, you want to get well? Now, this is exegeting the scriptures when you tell whatever, what the scripture really says. Isegeting is when you read into the scripture. Let me read into this text. So don't go home and say, I didn't read that in the Bible. You didn't read it in the Bible. I'm telling you it from my neighborhood, okay? <laughs> I think when Jesus asked him a simple question, do you want to get well? John chapter 5, 5, 9. Do you want to get well? I believe he saw something in Jesus' face that knew that Jesus could see. Everybody knows when you, you know when you hear the gospel for the first time, and I mean it, you hear it a lot of times, but you know when there's a rhema word, it's like God is saying, zip. And you know, you can feel it, you know it, but how are you going to respond to it? And I think when Jesus said that to that man, I think he realized, well, oh, this man's different. He's really different. And I think as he was sitting there thinking, these are some of the thoughts going through his brain. Man, for 38 years, my boy's been bringing me out here to beg every day. Man, if this man can heal me, oh, man, I'm going to have to get me a job. <laughs> you know, I didn't finish school. If this man heals me, you know, I get angry with my wife sometime and, uh, and my kids. And See, I got this excuse because you guys get to walk. I don't get to walk. But if I get healed, I got to change my attitude. Oh, no, see, this, this whole healing thing, man, I just like being sick. I get a check every month for being sick. <laughs> you really expect me to get well? And Jesus, he looked through all of this. You know, he told the man, the man, get up and shut up and go home. Because he'd still be talking to the man. You want to get well? Ain't got nobody to put me in the water. We ain't talking about putting you in the water. I asked you a simple question. Do you want to get well? And some people don't want to get well. I was talking to, years ago now, my uh, brother's 
ex-wife. And she lives in Florida, and I was back on some business, went to go see my nephew. And she's talking about her present husband. I'm thinking about leaving him. Da -da 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 -da. She's just going through all this stuff. And I didn't, okay? I, I can be a nice guy. I didn't, but I wanted to ask her, What's, what does your present husband and my brother have in common? Hey, you. Hey, just you. That's all. Just maybe you. And sometimes it's the man. Sometimes it's a man. It's like, hey, pot, we guys are, the, you know, I, <laughs> my wife left me one time. Can you believe that? Look at me. <laughs> Look, I ain't ugly. I work hard. And she left me because she kept saying, you need to change, and I'm not going to be married to a man like this. What you talking about? Ain't nothing wrong with me. Look at me, baby. <laughs> I'm looking at you, and I'm not going to be married to a man like this. I'm not raising our kids around. No, no, no. These are our, my, she said, my, I said, our, no, 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 no. Apparently, they ain't your kids because you don't care enough to change. I'm, well, I didn't hear her. I didn't hear her. You know when I heard her? I woke up one morning, and she was gone with my kids. That's what I told my friend. I said, oh, she had, why didn't she tell me she wanted me to change? He said she did. She used language you could understand, an empty bedroom. So I went to where my wife was, and... Uh, I don't know what I was going to say, you know, I do have a little twinge of pride, but I went to my wife home. It was, she'd been gone a couple of weeks now, and it, you know, it just wasn't nice. The, the bed, it was summertime, and the bed was cold. I said, I don't like this. I just don't like this. And I went to where she was at, over 300 miles away, because she, she says, I need to go see a counselor. I said, I ain't crazy. I said, it's, you know, counselor. But I said, if you come home, I'll go see a counselor. So she came home. I called the counselor on the phone. I said, hey, look, man, uh, uh my wife says, I need to come talk to you. <laughs> I said, but I ain't coming to your office. This guy's 45 miles from where I live. I said, because if I come to your office, somebody see me go in, they're going to think I'm crazy. I was so concerned about somebody thinking I was crazy, it never dawned on me what they thought, because I said, I'll meet, you around the, I'll meet you in that park around the corner from your office. It never dawned on me what people thought when they drove by the park. Here's a white guy and a black guy in the swing, swinging and talking to each other. <laughs> I'm saying? That didn't matter because they did not think I was crazy. I ain't going to be crazy. And now this year we'll celebrate 40 years. I'm not the same man. And I'm telling you, ladies, something. listen to me. You have a lot more power than you think you do. And it ain't what you think it is. I've heard my wife in the middle of the night up praying for me because she knows I don't listen well. I even took her to the, one time to the council. He said, what's the problem? I said, I got two friends, both of them in the ministry. One of them came home, and there was a U-Haul truck at his front door, and his kid, he asked his son, what's that U-Haul doing? He said, Mama's leaving, didn't you know? We're the last ones to know, because we, we, we think everything's great. Told the counselor, this friend's wife leaving him, this friend's wife leaving him, and, and, and my wife was sitting right there. I said, and I, I said I, we have a good marriage, I think. And I looked at her just like this. She says, we do. He said, what's the problem? I said, I don't listen, man. I don't listen. I said, so I'm going to pay you to help me to hear whatever this woman wants to tell me because I ain't coming home to a U-Haul truck unless I'm the one driving a U-Haul truck, all right? He looks at Linda and he says, well, Linda, what's the problem? She said, he defined it quite well. I said, I told you what the problem is, man. And he helped us. I don't listen. So he's helped me. And I still go see a counselor. I really do. You know what we talk about? I ain't going to tell you what I talked to my counselor about. <laughs> but he helped me work. See, a lot of preachers, oh, worst thing in the world for a preacher is to become a, become a Christian and get filled with the Holy Ghost. And God forbid if you get to talk in tongues, because now it's just you and Jesus. Oh, I got the anointed one. I mean, the Holy Ghost speaks to me. And you know what? Listen, if you don't deal with your problems when you come to know Jesus, let's say you were drunk. You come to know Jesus. If you don't deal with your problem, you're just a drunk saved man. If you've got anger issues, you don't really find, I mean, you know, really. Why am I angry? What's the real problem here? It's okay. I'm just going to kind of gloss over it with Jesus. You're still jacked up. And don't nobody really want to be around you. Okay, how much you pray, how much you call, you know, it's got nothing to do with what I want to talk about this morning. So listen, you ought to be the person on your job that people ought to come to if they need some help. Verse 9. 
So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cue me of my leprosy. Pride. Pride. My friend and his wife were having problems years ago. I said, you ought to go see my counselor, man. I ain't go see no counselor. You're probably white too, huh? I said, it happens to be. Good information. I'm trying to figure out what color that information is right now. But yeah, he happened to be dressed up and a whole lot lighter than I am. I don't need to see no counselor. I don't need to see, you know, mess, tell him all my business. I said, this might come as a newsflash to you, but they put divorces in the newspaper. I don't need to see no counselor. I said, man, I'm just, I'm just. I said, you know, it sounds to me like you're drowning in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and you're concerned about the color of the life preserver. I'm, I go see a counselor. I'm still married. My friend, he ain't married no more because he don't need to see no. Pride. Are not Abana and Pafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clenched? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, the prophet had told you to do some great thing. Would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And the Bible says his flesh was restored and became plain like that of a young boy. There are three characters in the story. And the first one is Naaman, the military leader. The Bible said that he was commander of the army of Aram. The Bible said he is a great man in the sight of his master, the king. He only reported to the king, so he's pretty high up in his administration. He's highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, and he didn't even believe in God. Read verse 15. He didn't believe in God. And so what, I, that's very important because, see, some of us have God in a box. We, if you do this, God will do this. If you do this, God will do this. In the 70s, they had a song that, sung, God, that, that said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Here's the truth of that song. God said it, and that settles it. You don't have to believe it. You know, stories of people getting saved. You'll find out in a moment. I wasn't looking for God when I got saved. I was trying to make a deal with God. But I wasn't looking for God. But I had a father who had been divorced by his wife who was raising six kids by himself, who wouldn't shut up. He just kept praying for his boys and his two girls. God doesn't care about our box. He's not hung up on your box. He's a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Every time I read this story, I think about us. We all have issues. Every one of us. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have some issues. Look at somebody and tell them, you got issues. I know some of you saying it like you really been wanting to tell them for a long time. And what happens? See, we all got issues. All God's children have issues. I asked my dad one day, man, I'm tired of the devil messing with me. And it just seemed like I can't get my act together. And, you know, how long you got to walk with Jesus before you really get it together? And my dad says, you want to know what you're going to look like when you get it together? I said, yeah, what? And he goes like this. I said, I got it, I got it, I got it. So we all have these issues, and we, we, you know, some of us were, were mistreated. And I'm not, I'm not making light of whatever your life experience has been at all, because I haven't had to live life in your skin. Some maybe been molested, or some may have been abused. I mean, there's just all kind of stuff, single parent, no parent, raising. You know, there's all this stuff. And then you know what we do? We take it out on others, and normally the innocent. Really, my mom and dad divorced. My mom's not there. I take it out on my wife. That's dumb. She's it's stupid. And, 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 but thank God she gave me a second chance. And children are really good at that. You know, parents divorce. And it's almost like I had to come to this conclusion because I was angry with the world. How can my mom and dad divorce and do this to me and to me and to me and to me? This is what that sounds like when you, when you really play it out. My mom and dad were monsters because this is what they said. We're going to get married. We're going to have six kids. We're going to get a divorce and just see how screwed up they can be. It didn't go down like that. They got married because they loved each other. They had six kids and realized this ain't working. That's what happened. 
But when you're a child, you don't get to understand that. So what happened was I got all this junk building up inside of me, and pretty soon it comes out, and when it came out, it just came out uh, ugly. So then we want to blame everybody else. That's how I met her daddy. He was a guard in the prison I was in. He had the nerve to come by one night, and I'm reading the Bible. Just God honest truth. And Lou comes by. Lauren's daddy comes by, and he, and he, grabs, he just takes my Bible out of my hand. You know, when you have a blue uniform and he has one with a badge, you just, go ahead, bro. <laughs> he turns it to a chapter in Romans that talked about how God has ordained authority. He gives it back to me and says, you ought to read this. This is a God on he walks off, and I sat there, and this is a thought going through my mind. He's a Christian? I said, man, God must be getting hard up. He's saving prison guards. <laughs> and it never dawned on me how hard up God must be to save. <laughs> this man was, he had issues. But he didn't use his issues as an excuse. In fact, the Bible says he became in charge. He got involved not just in the army, but he was over the army with his issues. Because sooner or later, in this life, you make a choice whether or not your issue are going to control you or you're going to control your issue. My God, that was God. I need to write that down, man. That was one. In fact, I need to give myself a blessing. Here you go, man. I bless myself. That was good. That was just. So, uh, somewhere later, you got to just say, you know what? Stop. Time out. This is what I've told all my brothers and sisters. If they were here, they would tell you. The devil destroyed mom and daddy. We were kids. There was nothing we can do about it, but I'm not a child anymore. So let me tell each one of you, Buddy, Tony, Murphy, Cynthia, Ron, and Joyce, I don't care what you do, you ain't going to never stop me from loving you. And nothing is going to come between us. And they've tried. I listened to them. Hey, that's good. Hey, let's have lunch. I'm going to drive down two hours. I'm going to drive down. We're going, out. I, we're going out to lunch. I told you the devil's not coming between us like he did when we were kids. He's not going to divide us. But some people, it never clicks. Bad relationship with mom, dad, sisters, brother. It just never clicks. So we carry those issues with us into the next relationship and into the next relationship. And then sometimes it never dawns on us what the real problem is. That was not this military man. And it was not his. When I, when I finally dawned on me, I could do something about this anger inside of me and this stuff. Well, I got a new marriage. And... I got a new mama. It's a long story. It's a long story. But this story's not about this military man, but the other character is Elisha. The Bible says he's a respected prophet of God of Israel. He is a man of influence in heaven and on earth. When you can talk to God and, and, and say, God, I don't think it ought to rain, and it don't rain, that's called influence. Or when you can write a letter and get it to the president of the United States, that's called influence. His words obeyed, not just believe, would bring healing. Hey, by the way, go dip in the water. You'll be all right, man. In fact, bring me some Kool-Aid or something. You know, I ain't even going to. And you do it, and it happens, you got some influence. But the story's not about him either. It's not about Naaman. It's not about Elijah. It's about this little slave girl. And you know what? You know the thing that makes me the maddest about this story? Her name ain't in the book. You got Naaman. You got Elisha and a little no-name slave girl. She has faith in God. She has definitely been mistreated. Definitely. She, she's out playing in the yard one day, and next thing you know, when the army military comes in, when they leave, they just take her. The Bible says she is a slave. But there was something about this little girl. I think somebody told her when she was growing up, honey, and we do well to tell these words to our children. God is always good, but life can be a jar of pickles. But God is all. Somebody told her that. You say, well, how do you know that? Because when she's experiencing the worst side of life, her attitude shows out. She looks at a man who caused her pain. Are you listening? He caused her pain, and she tells him where he can get healed. Oh, God. He, me? I looked at him and said, buddy, I hope your nose falls off in a bowl of soup. I ain't telling you nothing. It took me from my mama's house. I'm out there serving your wife, washing clothes, washing dishes, washing feet. I ain't got nothing to tell you. 
But she tells him, see, that's healing. That's health. In fact, that's maturity for a young girl to look at a military guy. There was something about her. He believed what she said. Go back to Israel where you brought me from. Uh, Go to this address. Knock on the door. There's a guy named Elisha. When you come back, you won't be the same anymore. And she didn't say, and by the way, when you come back and that happens, let me go back home. She got rid of her stuff. And the Bible says, Naaman goes to Israel. He takes the equivalent of $85,000 worth of silver and gold because of this little girl's actions. Someone told her life's not fair. She got a positive outlook on life. She has tremendous faith in Elisha. And she changed her world. Well, how'd she do that? Well, Naaman goes, does what the prophet says, and he gets healed. He comes back. The Bible says he's only responsible to the commander, to the king. So he has to go back and report into the king. The king looks at him and says, what happened to your leprosy? He tells the king what happened to his leprosy. Now, here's a question for you. What do you think the king did with that information? He told other people that on his level of leadership. By the way, before we start this meeting today, I got to tell you about this. this, I got to tell you about Naaman. And you guys know Naaman. Yeah, he's he's in your military. Yeah, yeah. He goes back to his family. What happened to you, cuz? Man, I went to Israel. He goes back to the military. Sir, what happened to you? He tells them. He goes out into the community. He tells them. But see, his life, listen, had been so changed that people are asking him questions. When you know that Jesus has touched your life, people start asking you questions. And he answers for them. And so the next thing we hear is that an entire nation Here's about the God of Israel, because a teenage girl could try to make everybody around her pay for her pain. Because she understood Romans 8.28, before 8, Romans 8.28 was written, and what it actually says is, and we know that in all things, God is working on your behalf. She didn't understand it. I bet you she sure didn't like it. See, some people think God is out after them. Nobody's going through this but me. And if you, my, I, I, people would come to my dad and say, man, Eddie, I don't know why God is treating me like this. Why am I going through this? And my dad would kind of smile and laugh. He goes, oh, I know why. And he would say, why, Eddie? He says, because it's your turn. <laughs> he said, my boy's in prison. It's my turn. My wife left me years ago. It's a long turn, but it's my turn. It's your turn. If your child is crazy, it's your turn. I'm on the phone last night with a pastor in Fresno. Daughter's had a baby out of wedlock, and he don't know what to do. We don't know whether we have to ask her to leave. She comes home. She's been partying. And, you know, I'm a pastor, and people are telling us they see her in these places and those places and, and all the rest. I don't know what to do. And I'm asking him questions. I'm good at asking questions. And so what is this? What is, she, what is she trying to tell you? Did you have a contract that said if you act a certain way? Yeah, we put a contract together. Apparently, she broke the contract. So what are you going to do about her breaking of the contract? I said, you know, when I was 15, 16 years old, that's what my father said. Son, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I said, hey, thanks, Dad. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what I'm praying first. I was raised in church. Got baptized when I was eight. Best thing the preacher could have done for me at eight years old when he baptized me, he should have drowned me. <laughs> you love Jesus? You really love Jesus, Sammy? Yeah, well, you know what? I see the future. Yours don't look too bright. Boop. <laughs> tell him hello when you see him, all right? I look at my friend. We were on the phone last night. I'm trying to go to sleep. Really jacked up my sleep. I couldn't go to sleep after this. I said, what your child is telling you is that they want to live life the way they want to live life. Your child has said, I'm grown. My daughter said that one time when she was in college. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, who bought that soap in the bathroom? <laughs> well, you did. Who bought the toilet paper? Well, you did. Who bought the... I said, you know, to me, I said, I'm not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree, but to me, a grown person buy their own stuff. Your child is telling, parents always want to feel guilty. What could I have done different? I told my mom and dad one day, look, y'all want to take the blame for me going to prison? Fine. But that was my destiny. I made those choices. You didn't make my choices. 
So if you want to feel guilty, you got a divorce, you want to, well, just take it upon yourself. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to. But if you want it, God bless you. I tell my friend last night on the phone, I said, she broke the contract. You're not the bad person. We always think we're the bad persons. Now, make sure I get back to that story. My son is 16 years old. Listen, I got ADDH, okay? I'm all over the place, okay? Y'all just, somebody else in here got that. You, you sitting back there going, man, I like this guy. I'm rolling with him, man. He all over the map, and I love it. I ain't lost it. He ain't lost me. My son is 16 years old. My wife and I are watching TV. And, and really, next week, Pastor Don will be back. Somebody's going to be back. You won't have to deal with me any longer, okay? We're watching TV, and my 16-year-old kid comes in the living room. I'm running away. Well, I panicked because I, I ran away when I was like 13. So I'm thinking, what a, this is where I got this from. What did I do wrong? What? Hey, oh, my son. My wife. Don't take the luggage. It ain't yours. Lori, Lori knows my wife. And I went like this. Man, that's a cold woman. He says it again. That's why I'm running away. Don't nobody care. She says, she still doesn't look. He's our firstborn child. She doesn't even look at Roy. She goes, on the other side of the refrigerator, there's some paper sacks. Put your stuff in the sacks, but don't you take that luggage. That belongs to me and your daddy. I'm thinking, my God, man. Can't we just have a conversation? Help him? Help him through his issues? He's having issues right now. You know, he has to stay in this house. He has to. And I'm starting to go through my mind what this boy is suffering living in my house. And I stand up. I got on that T-shirt, man. You know what that T-shirt looked like? I pull up my britches. I said, son, you know, you ought to run away. Now, when you agree with a child, yeah. now all of a sudden it's like, really? Yeah. You need to run away. Why? I said, you stand in front of my refrigerator. You open it up and you just, you don't even chew the food. You just inhale it. <laughs> you know them little letters that come in with little plastic faces? Yeah, those are called bills. B-I-L-L-S. Not a guy named Bill. Those are my bills. You ever get one of those? No, sir. Oh, I see. I said, didn't I tell you to keep the thermostat down to a certain temperature? What do you do? You push it up as high as it can go, and then you have the nerve to open up the window. I got every bird in the neighborhood. Hey, y'all ain't got the fly to stay warm. Get over here. Sam's giving away free heat. <laughs> then you leave the front door open. The rest of the heat's going out the front door. I got raccoons and skunks and everybody sunbathing at my front door. Man, we ain't even got to huddle up. It's free heat. I said, then you got the magical box in your bedroom. What magical box? You know the magical box. Throw your clothes in, come back three days later, they clean. It's just like magic. <laughs> and then you use my car. I let you use my car. Have you ever given me $5? Hey, Dad, here's $5 on the next tank of gas. Next to the no, you ain't never done that. In fact, you take my car, you go out, you got your friends, you come back, and you don't even cut the volume down. I wake up the next morning, just had a wonderful season with Jesus. I feel like I'm in his presence. I go get in my car, put the key in, I turn it, and all of a sudden, this stuff comes out of my speakers, and I'm spilling coffee all over me, and now I got to go back in the house and spend some more time with Jesus, because what I'm thinking about doing to you now is going to take me back to jail, okay? And I looked at him, and I said, you, you, you want to leave? I said, boy, if you don't get out of my face, I'll give you something to leave about. Because it's his issues. And we buy into that stuff. Oh, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm sorry. I got you $95 tennis shoes. You wanted the 120 pair. I took my kids shopping one year. Remember Montgomery Wards? Some of you older. I took them to Montgomery Wards. I'm buying all these clothes for them. We put them all in the basket. We get to the counter to pay for them. <laughs> they look at me and they say, well, who are they for? It's for y'all. Oh, we, we don't wear those clothes. I said, huh? No, we, we don't wear clothes from Montgomery Wards. All three of them. They in cahoots on this. I said, okay. Got to the counter. I said, excuse me, sir. We changed my mind. We're not going to buy those. We get outside in the car. I said, well, where are we going to go shopping for our school clothes? I said, where are y'all going shopping? I said, the clothes I'm going to buy for my kids, they inside Montgomery Wards. <laughs> I ain't buying. I ain't going. No, are you, have you lost your mind? What's wrong with y'all? And they would test me when they really got, listen, when they got the best of me, I would tell them, you know, I wish I had some white kids. <laughs> Why you say that? Because white kids don't treat their parents the way you black 
Zacchaeus Street Joe Clarence. <laughs> then I became the youth pastor of the church and most of the youth group was white and after a while I came home and told my kids, forgive me, I want my black kids back. <laughs> Why is that daddy, man, them, black, them white kids is crazy, them white kids is crazy. It's their issues, and we buy into their issues. Poor baby, I fed you too much. I bought, I spent too much money on your shoes. Híjole, amigo. Now, what was that on that other story? Somebody. <laughs> it's not my, my daughter. Come on, Pastor, you got to do better than that. I was typing up as much as I got left. My daughter. I'll get back to it. Don't worry about it, man. We good. Uh, my who? My friend. My mother. My mother, my friend's daughter. Which one was it now? <laughs> when I'm talking to my wife. When I get done, I'll say, honey, so what do you think about what I said? She says, what do you mean what you said? Well, what were we just talking about? She said, baby, you done had five conversations. Which one would you like? <laughs> Which one would you like me to comment on? You ain't listening to me. That get, then I want to get mad. You ain't listening. Honey, I'm listening. You got five stories going here, baby. But we just give in to them, and we feel guilty. It ain't your fault. I told my children when they were teenagers, I might be the worst parent in the whole world. I don't think I am. But if I am, from this point on, it's on you. Adam and Eve had the perfect parent. And they rebelled. Who are you? And if you want to feel guilty, I have an altar call. You can come up and I'll pray for you. I'll pray God give you more guilt. You want guilt? You can have all the guilt you want. You ought to walk ahead and say, you know what? My son's an idiot. My daughter's an idiot. Nephew's an idiot. Ain't on me. I'm going to enjoy life. I allowed my children to get to me so bad one day, I'm sitting at a stoplight. And I drive through it. I look in the rearview mirror, ain't nobody else moved. And I realize I have driven through a red light. I have let these little colored kids drive me insane. <laughs> and I said to myself, I'm going to get in a wreck. I'm going to kill myself. And they gonna get my insurance money. <laughs> no, that ain't happening. No, no. <laughs> I would not have talked like this if my wife had been here. Y'all lucky. <laughs> she would be sitting there going, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Let me wrap all this up. Follow me through this PowerPoint. This little girl changed the world. This is my son. This, this first picture is me and my brother. He's the one on the left. I'm one. We're about eight, nine. He, I'm, I'm eight. He's like nine. We're in a Sunday school class. The next picture is my, my Sunday school teacher and her husband. I didn't realize until right before she died what her first name was. I just thought her first name was Mrs. and her last name was Harding. Her husband was Mr. Harding. She taught us a song in Sunday school. A sunbeam, a sunbeam, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. A sunbeam, a sunbeam, I'll be a sunbeam for him. And then we'd have to, you know. <laughs> hey, go figure. This is my graduation picture from high school. Three months after I graduated from high school, my dad is, my dad is a deacon in the church, has a business in town. My grandfather was the uh, first African-American deputy sheriff in Merced County. My cousin still holds the record for the most touchdowns in Merced High School. So I got, a good, I, got a, I got a good family. But three months after I graduated from high school, in fact, I didn't even graduate, I took this next picture. I'd been sent to prison, minimum of five years, maximum the rest of my life. And my dad wouldn't give up on me. He came to visit me in the county jail. He looked at me and said, well, son, I guess we're in trouble. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to make it. And I remember looking at him on the other side of that glass thinking, what kind of a man is this? I could see the hurt in his face, the disappointment. And, but somehow or another, he mustered a smile. And he never made it about us. We're going to make it, son. 
This same man, when my sister came home as a senior in high school, pregnant. Daddy said he was out in the garden working, and my sister looked at him and told him she was pregnant. And my dad said, son, I realized in that moment, the next words out of my mouth was going to be the cause of our relationship. Would, be, would define our relationship the rest of my life. And daddy said, he looked at my sister, and he said, honey, I hope you haven't thought about abortion. I heard it could mess you up. i tell you what let's do. Let's do. We're in trouble. He said, why don't you go ahead and have the boy? They didn't know it was going to be a boy or girl. He says, and after you have the boy, if you don't want him, daddy will raise him for you. That's my dad. Passed away five years ago, January. When he passed away at his funeral, I told the story how on Sundays I'd call my dad he'd pray for me. If he was alive, I would have called him and said, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Diamond Springs. Man, where in the world is that at? Boy, I've been in California all my life. I ain't never heard no Diamond Springs. <laughs> well, I, and then he said, okay. We'd talk. We'd laugh. And he said, let's pray. He said, Jesus, <laughs> help them folk in Diamond Springs. They got to listen to Sammy this morning. <laughs> then he would laugh, and we'd pray. Then he would cry and say, thank you. And in his funeral, fourth day of my life, I said, my dad is gone, and we can't talk on Sunday mornings anymore. So a couple of weeks after he had passed away on a Sunday morning, my phone rings, cell phone, I'm on my way to, to preach. I pushed a button so, the, so it could come on on my speakers. I, I didn't pick up my phone. See, because that's, you do that, you've broken the law. And, and you see, I fought the law, and the law won. So I just, you know, <laughs> And it's one of my nephews. I got a whole slew of nephews. In fact, one of my nephews, Raymond, is with me today. And my nephew, I said, what you doing, boy? He said, oh, Uncle Sam, I just, I just called to pray with you. I said, pray with me? He said, yeah, Grandpa's funeral, you said nobody's going to pray with you anymore. This is, this is the boy my sister was pregnant with who was now an assistant pastor of a church in Kokomo, Indiana. He has called me almost every Sunday over the last five years. Remember this morning we were upstairs talking and I was doing like this? He was calling me then. And he just prays for me. He said, hey, man, what's up, huh? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening, baby? What's happening? <laughs> you know, I'm 62 years old. Hey, what's happening? What's happening? Hey, you got it, baby. What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> you ain't nothing but a saved gangster, uncle. That's all you are. Just to say, well, at least I'm saved, nephew. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I give my life to Jesus in prison. And next picture, I go to Bible. We start having this Bible study in prison. Lord's dad was one of our sponsors. And uh, he'd come in, and all these different people would come in. But this particular guy, Bob Woodford, came in one day, and uh, he would always teach. And he was a graduate of UC Berkeley, so he would use words. And the average grade level was sixth grade, and he would sit down on a little chair in front of everybody and put the, his glass on the brim of his nose. He'd tell us about Jesus. And the guys would say, man, his words are too big. Somebody needs to tell him to break down those words. And Sam, next time he comes up, you tell him. So he came up, and I did. When I told Bob... He put his glass on the tip of his nose, and this is what he said. Is that where you want to stay? And some of the guys got up and walked out. And I wanted to say, where y'all going? It ain't like you're going home or the Burger King or nowhere, you know. Where y'all going, man? Sit down, man. Listen to what the man is. And I started writing down the words I couldn't understand. I'd look them up in the dictionary during the week. And the next week, I'd use them on Bob or her dad, Lou, in a sentence. And they never knew what I was doing. And I didn't either, but God was preparing me for all the degrees that I've been able to get since I got out of prison. Bob asked the question that I'm asking you. Wherever you're at, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, whatever, is that where you want to stay? And if you say no, then my next question is, what are you going to do about it? I want a better marriage. Oh, no, you don't. When's the last time you've been to a couple's retreat? My wife and I go on those. You know why? Because I figured out if I don't change the oil in my car every few thousand miles, I learned the hard way. I blew an engine once because I never changed the oil. And some of you think that the oil is in your engine 10, 15, 20 years ago is still good enough. Let me tell you, you didn't change. You ain't the same. Some of you was bald as you can be, but you got one string of hair and you whipping that thing around, man. <laughs> Go see Lori and let her cut it off for you, okay? Just face it. I was young, I had a nice afro and all the rest. Now I, I barely got an af. I mean, I ain't got hardly nothing. <laughs> My boy used to say, Daddy, man, when I was young, boy, you, you, you had your body, you looked like a Coke bottle. I said, you think so? He said, yeah. He said, now you look like a Coke truck. <laughs> and I be wanting to tell him your mama, okay? But, you know, I'm, just, I'm married to his mama, so I ain't going to say that. But, I mean, you know, 
But there's something about us guys. You know, look at that. I bet you I can still run that 100. And, yeah, I bet you. Look at me. I don't know why the 49ers don't call me, the Raiders, or somebody don't call me up. I can still. We look in the mirror. I don't know what it is we look at, but it ain't what's in that mirror. We done changed. You got to do something about wherever you're at. You, know you got to change. Go take your wife to a couple's retreat. It might be good for you. You'll learn some new information. Put some new oil in that engine. Might liven that puppy up a little bit. Then I, you know, went to school, graduated from Azusa Pacific with a master's in marriage, family, and child counseling. And next picture is me and my daddy with President Ronald Reagan. If you want to read a book about him, read a book. It's called God and, uh, God and Ronald Reagan. It'll tell you all the things you never, get, you, you never heard about him as being the president. You see, he started a ministry when he was a governor, matched two prisoner visitation program, which was visitors on the outside meeting men and women on the inside for one-on-one -on -one visitation. And I, I never knew why he did that. Didn't ask him that day. But when I read the book, I realized his mama, I'm going to tell you mothers something. Y'all got more power over us kids. Mm. His mama used to go to the jailhouse and read books to prisoners. And one day a guy got out of jail, tells a story in the book. He's in the back of a cab and he's going he's to rob the cab driver. But when he got out, he told the cabbie, if you look in the back seat, there's a gun. He said, I was going to rob you, but I remember the words of a lady who used to come down to the jailhouse and read the Bible to us. Ronald Reagan's mother. She marked that man. Next picture. It's my staff when I was pastoring at a church in Lighthouse, Venetia, for 11 years. I, was taking, I, was, I said, I don't need to show this picture. And my assistant said, put it in there. That's Pastor Don's heart. Just keep it in there. He told me to keep that in there. Sure, Dad. Next one is um, when I graduated from Regent University with my doctorate degree. Mrs. Harding taught me a song. I taught a song to my kids began to teach it to my grandchildren. So one day I said, y'all want to meet Mrs. Harding? My grandbabies. Yeah, let's go. We get in my truck, take my six oldest grandbabies, and the next picture is at the hospital, gathered around the bed of my Sunday school teacher. My brother, who was in the class, I called him up. I said, man, I'm on my way to the hospital to visit Mrs. Harding. Our Sunday school teacher? Yeah, I'll meet you there. So my older brother now, not going to church, not serving God, he shows up at the hospital, because that's our Sunday school teacher. Disrespect your Sunday school teacher if you want to. God will turn you into a cockroach. You just be. <laughs> I go in. I kiss on the forehead. I kiss on the cheeks. I said, Mrs. Harding, this is your Sunday school boy, Sammy. I said, I got some very special people I want you to meet. She never opens her eyes. I said, Mrs. Harding, this is my oldest granddaughter, Samantha. Samantha, say hello to Mrs. Harding. Mrs. Harding, this is my next oldest granddaughter, Salem. Salem, say hello to Mrs. And I introduce all of them. But, but, but by halfway through, Mrs. Harding goes, Sammy! Never opens her eyes. I say, yes, ma'am. How many kids you got in this room? <laughs> and I'm crying because this lady, she marked me for life. When I get to the last one, I look at my brother and tears are just jumping out of his eyes. And I wanted to say, she messed you up too, didn't she? You still remember that. And I looked at my grandbabies and I said, Mrs. Harding, they want to sing you a very special song. One generation, two generations, three generations, and my grandkids, they start singing, a sunbeam, a sunbeam, Jesus wants me for us. And my brother and I, we just, was, we were dish rags. <laughs> I walked back over, I said, Mrs. Harding, I love you. Thank you for believing in me. She would always say, you know, you never was a bad boy. I said, that's the same thing I told the judge. I said, you ain't got to believe me. Ask Mrs. Harding. She'll tell you I ain't no bad boy. He said, yeah. yeah. Deep down within, he said, we ain't going deep. We're just going to deal with what's on the surface, okay? okay? <laughs> and we leave. When my Sunday school teacher died, they said, her kids, you know Mama loved you. We want you to come to her funeral. Can you sing Amazing Grace? I said, no. I said, but I will sing a song, and you'll like it. So I get there, and I'm talking. I said, now, this is her last Sunday school class. This is it. Her body was there. I said, so we're going to sing a song that she taught her Sunday school class. Everybody stand if you're able. And they were getting up. Some of them had their walkers and what have you. And we sang the sunbeam song. And then I said, now we're going to sing it again. And the next thing, time through, you got to make a sunbeam. You got to do like this. And we did. And we sat down. My grandchildren were mad at me. You want to know why? Because I didn't take them to her funeral. My grandkids, they said, Papa, you didn't take us to Mrs. Harding's funeral. 
I said, I didn't know you wanted to go. I said, Papa, she affected your life. She affected my parents. She affected our life. We wanted to say goodbye to Mrs. Harding, too. I went, dang. She never left the United States. She never got on an airplane. Heard Mr. Harding had a motorhome, and they went all over the United States. She never went anywhere, but her son is good boy, Sammy. I cannot even tell you the countries that I have been in, telling them, hey, you want to hear a story? Let me tell you about Mrs. Hardy. This last picture, I took my three olds, my oldest grandbabies were in Africa. I've put in over 30 wells. That's not my job. It's just I saw a little girl in Africa drink mud, and ever since then I thought, you know what? <laughs> I throw away water. I came back home, raised money, friends, and support, and we put a bunch of wells in through the years. And I took my grandbabies with me. Let me tell you what happens when you take your grandbabies or your children on a mission trip. One of my grandchildren, she's there for three days, she looks at me and goes, I'm never going to complain about my bedroom again. <laughs> you got the message. I have another picture, it's not here, of my grandchildren being prayed over by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of that country. And sometimes I'll look at those pictures and I'll say to myself, Sunbeam a sunbeam. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. A sunbeam a sunbeam. I'll be, and it just keeps going on. Because this lady invested in my life. So here's a question for you. Some of you are old, some of you are going to get older. Who's going to visit you? Here's the answer to the question. Whoever you invest your life in. I told my wife, I, I, I just got to die. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to be laid up. No one. She said, why? My cousin, my nephew, I, I mean, I treat them all so crazy. Just crazy. I said, if I get sick, they're going to come in and poke me and jab me and just, they're just going to try to get even. I said, you know, so just God, just let me die. They just, you know, just get over it. But I'm investing my life in others. Some of you are investing your life. You know, Don and Patty. You, you don't even know this couple and the lives. You have no idea. Of all, for years and years and years and years, they've invested their life in Team Challenge. Oh, I, you know, I just want to be there when God hands you your reward. Amen. Because you're going to need some help carrying that crown. <laughs> this is a special couple. Yes, they are. Well, what about you? No, really. I said before, I'm not making light of whatever you've been through in life. Your kids are wayward. Now, you know, I don't walk through all that. I didn't raise three children. My oldest granddaughter's at Zusa Pacific University. You don't know what's going to happen to them. I don't know what's going to happen to my grandkids. I just, but they sure keep me praying. So I'm not here to, I can't believe you. I can't. No, that's, that's not where I'm coming from. I just want to pray for you. I want to tell you that we serve a good, good God. And he's got grace, grace, and more grace. And he just pours it over us. Maybe you've made some mistakes and your children are doing whatever. You know what? They grown. Maybe you got some teenagers. They're making choices, folks. Don't you feel bad and guilty? They're going to wake up one day. Oh, yeah. I told my two sons when they were teenagers, I said, I want to tell you one thing. Daddy's done everything he can do for you. They're early teens. I said, so as of this night, we're riding together. I said, as of this night, you belong to Jesus. Here's my two sons in the back of the car. <laughs> Daddy, don't give us to Jesus. <laughs> I said, well, no, please. Don't give, oh, God, please. Daddy, don't give us to Jesus. We don't want to go to Jesus. We'll be good. We promise. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'll just give y'all to Jesus. You and Jesus. No, please, Daddy, we promise. We swear to Jesus. We'll be good to Jesus. <laughs> Father, it's been a pure joy and delight. And I have said a lot of stuff. Some of it came from you and some of it came from me. So the stuff that came from me, just let it keep going. Some of them haven't even laughed. They've, they needed this morning. Lord, there's some moms and dads and parents who are step-parents. And most people don't understand that a step-parent is just a parent who decided to step in to be a parent. I know what that's like from a child's perspective and from a step-parent perspective. They need you to help them. Ah, we've all made mistakes. 
trying to raise these little boogers. We just did the best we could. And we live with sometimes regrets and we just need you to help us. Would you pour grace on my friends this morning? That father, Lord God, who maybe didn't respond to his daughter the way daddy responded to Rana, who lets me tell this story. Or maybe that daughter who didn't respond right when she was pregnant and the devil still tries to make her feel guilty because of what she did. God, you let her know, oh, you got grace. Oh, it's your grace that covers all of our sins and help that person not to live with the guilt for there is no condemnation in you. Would you bless Pastor Don and Sue and thank you for their family, their children and grandchildren and granddaughter-to-be. Bless my friend. Bless my brother. Bless this church. And I give you praise in Jesus' name.